2: I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And guys, if the NBA season is a three-act play, I feel like we just finished act two. I hope everybody had a great all-star weekend. Uh, Congrats to Mac McLung, who put on one of the great uh, dunk contest performances, and Today, I wanted to reflect a little bit on kind of how we got here on this crazy Lakers season. Dee, we can, you know, cover the team on a day-to-day, you know, five days a week type of basis here on the pod. And I think sometimes we don't always get a chance to take a breath and reflect. And the All-Star break always, I think, serves that purpose. And so I'd love to just reflect on how we got here. There's been so many things that have happened. What are the first things that stand out to you about how we got here?
1: Well, it's interesting because the way that we ended the last week, right? Like in the lead up to the all-star break, it was, oh, we can't wait to see more of this Lakers team. I've watched the
2: game six times. The Pelicans game, I've watched it six times. And it'll be eight days, right?
1: (laughs) Since Since that game before the Lakers play again. And it does give you the opportunity to sort of take a step back and, and take stock in things. And and when I think about the progression of where the Lakers are now and and sort of the anticipation that I think we all feel for what this team is going to look like coming out of the other side of the break. For me, it's that idea of like change and all of the instability Mm -hmm. that was sort of shaping the roster. And Mike, just like all the different faces and the idea of how long change was on our mind. So we
2: didn't start this season like, oh, this is our squad.
1: No, in fact, like it was the opposite. And you could probably go through the archives of this pod and once or twice a week, whatever topic we were actually talking about, it probably turned into a discussion of what a trade would look like Mm -hmm. for this team. And that was even beyond if we had like an actual podcast where we were talking about trade ideas so Mike, I like the thing that sort of hovered over the first 50 some odd games for this team was that idea that this wasn't going to be the team or we didn't think it should be the team. I can't find the right phrase, but that conflict of watching the team play and it's through its ups and downs, and they had some really great wins and games that stood out. But every time they had one of those losses that you felt like could have been avoidable if this wasn't the team, like it just, drugged you back into that same mindset of, okay, well, are they going to actually make a change? And now that the change is finally here, I'm juiced just to see what this new roster does. I don't know what they're going to do. I'm not necessarily optimistic or pessimistic. I'm just sort of encouraged about the direction of newness. And, And so reflecting back on sort of us getting what we all sort of wanted which was a new roster like that that's sort of the thing that I've been reflecting on the last week or so
3: you know I was in the car for a while today driving and my kids were reading on the, their Kindles the whole time and I'm always like that's great you can never read too much uh, as a kid right so there's never I'm never like hey guys you gotta put that down and I'm kind of that way with the NBA uh there I, I can never get enough I'm always happy when the game started for I'm a little annoyed when there's only only like one game a day It's especially sad once the conference Mm -hmm. finals gets down to the finals and you're there's days in between games. Right. And nobody ever has to tell me to, you know, to turn off a Laker anything. Um, But Pete, I'm sorry. You said you watched the last game six times. I what what is happening here? And I also thought that you were you tried to get away from the game a little bit (laughs) the last couple of days. So So what's
2: going on here? so no no this is a good point there's so yeah uh, okay one of those two of those watches were during this stretch where i was taking time off it's different i don't so <laughs> it, had, it. it was the one game we got with lebron it was the one game we got with lebron and the full squad you know what i mean and then we freaking go away for eight days or whatever and so i i also like j- and also from my job to analyze the team. Like all of a sudden the board got flipped over two thirds of the, of the uh, way into the season. And I don't know, like five of these guys, all of that. Well, so, like one of the ways that I my last rewatch, I'm not my, you at all.
3: I just thought like, <laughs> wouldn't four have sort of sufficed?
2: So, what one of the things I like to do, especially in these circumstances, is watch a game and just watch one guy. Or you know, obviously that guy will sub out, and then I'll watch something else. But like my last rewatch was the Jared Vanderbilt rewatch, and that was super fun and like because he did such a good job on bi and it kind of makes you wonder well who else can he guard and what else can he do on on that front right and so just getting that more intimate knowledge with these guys and people are going to look to us to be like hey what what about the new team is real and what isn't and so that that's the reason why that and the excitement yeah hey i'm gonna do that
3: right now now I'm going to pepper you with questions about that, and I have some. My takeaways are a little bit more overarching, and, and a lot of them have to do with what LeBron said over the weekend, and kind of double checking with a couple of people about his finger, um, which had me briefly very angry at uh, Mike Malone, not calling Michael <laughs> on this yes. podcast after injuring LeBron's finger uh, by demanding that he play defense. But saving all that <laughs> for a second, if if I can preempt Darius here for a second. like just. I, w- I would love a couple of the 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 most congruent thoughts out of the major rewatches. Uh, and and now, especially now that you had a couple of days to think about them,
2: really, the overarching theme is that I think this is it. I think this is the group. So much of the talk that we've had over the last couple of years on this pod is this is what the lineup should be. And I mean, that's true of any season to a degree. But we had so little knowledge of this is what our group is. That was a thing I marveled about last year, d is, like, Went through a whole season. I don't know what the starting lineup of last year's team was. I think we have our starting lineup now. I think we have our 10. And I think that it makes sense. I think that every guy plays either their position or they're, you know, a two, three, three, four type of guy. And I, I've been just marveling at all of my all of the Laker friends that I talked to prior to the trades and talking to them like, oh, what kind of guy would you like? There was like, oh, I would love to have a three and D wing. And we really need shooting, really need a a great jump shooter, uh, a five that could protect the rim. That'd be helpful. Um, If we trade Russ really need a lead guard that can take over his spot, wouldn't it be great to have a skill guard? Uh, How about a, a, a four that can hit jump shot, you know, mid range jumpers? There's We really checked every box in terms of all of the player types of the people that I talked to, with the exception of like a bigger ball pressure guard. And so that's one of the things for for me, Mike, is like we got a lot of the types of guys that we'd been kind of clamoring for. And that's why when you say you're juiced about the newness, D, like it's not just for me that like, oh, these guys are new. It's like, oh, this might work.
1: Yeah, it's the fact that they're new and that they do the things that you've sort of been pining for and that we've been pining for collectively. So, Mike, I'll kick it back to you here, because I did think that LeBron's comments are over the All-Star break were this interesting bridge between the idea that Pete had, which coming into the pod, which is like this reflection of like this wild ride, while acknowledging that this last stretch of games is super important. And mm. and he, I think he's channeling this idea of energy and focus himself, right? Which is probably, at least in part, coming from this idea that, the team has changed and that it is new. I'm not sure if he would be speaking about this stretch of games if no deals had been made and the roster wasn't reshaped in this way. And, and so I think there's a lot of moving parts that are coming together all at the same time and sort of creating this propulsion for the team. And mm-hmm. and, and so I'm wondering what you thought about LeBron's comments and if you could just even share them. Yes. Yeah, so the
3: quote that I took the most interest in was... McMenamin asked him after the game was it before or after the game I think it was after the game no you know what maybe it was his media availability the day before but regardless the quote was these are some of the like the 23 most important games mm-hmm. um, of my career uh, essentially and in the second that I heard that I was like sign me up
2: yeah you know, LeBron games with mission yes sir
3: because LeBron and it, it I think it tells us a couple things and as we know LeBron doesn't say anything for uh, without purpose and he doesn't do anything without purpose, which was why I was a little surprised he picked Embiid first with the starters. That's a whole, not- that's a whole nother tangent. Uh, <laughs> I thought he was going to go like, in a different direction. And I was like, well, what, what is the overarching you know design in that? Anyway, set that aside for a second. And probably for the rest of the podcast, I don't think I'll bring it up again. Um, LeBron making that comment could, I think can tie back to what Pete just said. In that LeBron sees the team at least making sense now. And he doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to have to mean that he thinks they're a, an actual championship contender, but I do think that LeBron thinks that it's at least enough to get him in the mix. And then he believes in himself, uh, and healthy ad to an extent where you don't want to play against us. And like, and there can be this team could do something, and and there's there's an actual design there um as to what he can get out of it. So if LeBron is feeling that way and all of the health caveats go with this as they do with any team um, in a conference that, that is this tight and a league that is this tight, then that's the biggest thing that you can have. Is LeBron's belief and LeBron's buy-in and LeBron's energy going in because he is the player that everybody else feeds off the most. And now I think there was another kind of energy that wasn't always bad at all. But with this is Westbrook and Beverly. And that that is a big level of energy. And it's sort of now that is not there anymore. Now it's like LeBron setting the tone. A.D. is kind of supporting that. And everybody else is just they that's it like that. They have no choice but to buy into that. And of course, Darvin Ham and the coaching staff impact that as well. But that to me is a major thing. And I I'll leave that there. I do want to get back to what Pete another point Pete referenced about Vanderbilt and sort of the way that I view him in the trade as maybe something that could change a lot of people's minds uh but let's just to kick on to stay on the lebron point for now i'm curious what you guys read out of those comments
2: so yeah man lebron with a, a sense of mission is um like sign me up for that too and i think that that is certainly informed by how the roster looks now i also thought that lebron did some great work a month ago a month and a half ago just to keep us afloat that stretch that he had where he was an automatic 35 every night for like a dozen straight games and a lot of this was with anthony davis out but he saw something in this team a while back that made him go hey i'm gonna turn this up for a stretch and make sure that we stay in it because if he didn't play that way we wouldn't have and lord knows we're still hanging on by a thread as as we speak now but LeBron's investment in the team and his investment in what this could be, I think he was really a rock for us this first part of the season D. In despite it being, you know, year 20 and he's missing some back-to-back nights. He's not the he's not as durable as he used to be, but the consistent excellence, I think, and and that commitment to what this is today, but also what it could be is what helped keep our head above water.
1: So all of that is 100% true. The part of his quote that Mike mentioned definitely perked up my ears as well. And he did issue the caveat that it's like, these are the 23 most important games of my career for like regular season games, right? Because LeBron and making multiple runs to the finals, he knows the difference. But the fact that he's speaking of these games within that context is super important. And it does sort of drive home that idea of mission, which is something too that some of the players have openly spoken about and they've gone on record with that they have targeted goals in terms of what their record should be over this last stretch of games in order to get to a certain point where they feel like they they could be in the mix for the sixth seed potentially. And that sort of North Star and points of emphasis of like, we're striving for something, I think that that's important for a team that is new like this because it can give them some purpose down the stretch that they may not normally have. The other part of LeBron's quotes that stood out to me, guys, was the part where he said, You know, I really hope that people take some time
2: away, which is what Pete, mm-hmm. you were talking about with yourself a little bit. Part of that was because of what he said, you know, like it was like, cause it's easy to get, you know, wrapped up into it. And so I'm thinking like, you know, if LeBron's saying that there's a reason for it, you know, there's, there's yeah. you got to use this time, got to use this time wisely. Yeah. So like give yourself
1: a break, a mental break, a physical break. But when you come back, come back with that purpose, come back with that focus, because we have work to do real work to do. And I hope everyone comes back with that same level of engagement. And I'm super happy that LeBron said that and sort of put that out there, because that's leadership, Mike, like, it's, it's one thing. And I Like we've mentioned this on past pods, like last season, especially, and and even the first season that that A.D. played here. But when A.D. came into training camp and he's like, I want LeBron to be an all defense level player. I know Mm -hmm. he has Mm -hmm. that in him. There's something about uh, Mike, you used the term putting it on wax. There's something about putting comments out there like that and sort of holding, holding your teammates accountable publicly in ways that you don't have to say, oh, I want everyone to come back focused and engaged. Like LeBron doesn't have to say that publicly, but the fact that he does say that, I think, speaks to that idea of like, nah man, when everyone gets back here, like we're, we're gonna be about it. And and we're really gonna go after this to the best of our abilities. And I'm going to lead that charge. I'm holding myself accountable first, but I'm holding all of you else accountable as well. And I just think that Pete, when you said like he carried us for a stretch, he continues to do that. And with his words, I thought, as much as anything else coming out of this all-star break.
3: So maybe we take a break. And then Pete, I wanna, I wanna answer the question. Or it wasn't you didn't really ask it as a question, but I have sort of an answer for it. And it was like the way that once you think about how the particular guys in the trade fit in and those new guys and how, how when we were having all these conversations, what types of players do the Lakers need, right? Uh, I think that there's been, an, there's been a, a, a sort of an obvious answer that may not have been so obvious when you first saw the trade reported.
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: All right. So this is going to be about Vanderbilt and the way that we see him. And you know, Vanderbilt plays mostly power forward and center if you had watched him in the past. And so I think <laughs> he is viewed as a big, right? And and if, when you, when you would ask me the question, what does this roster need? Or yes, Darius and, and we would always come back to like, it fluctuated some, but basically it was two way wing. And then Darius sometimes wanted a player slotted between a couple of positions. Right. And that was, that was evident last year. And, and Darius, jump in real quick and just kind of clarify that. Like, because I was just sort of like big two way wing that can stay on the floor.
1: Yeah, like I, I'm always looking for that hybrid forward that could slot between LeBron and AD and can take one of the harder defensive matchups away from LeBron so that because LeBron's defensive versatility means he could guard wings. He could also guard bigs. We've seen him do that against like Brook Lopez so that AD could take Giannis and then but who's going to be that third guy who could take the other matchup then? And, and I've always been looking for that forward who could Score effectively and and play off of LeBron and and AD in real meaningful ways so that he could be like a closing lineup fixture potentially.
3: Right, and so that player maybe maybe slots in a little bit bigger than the player type that I was thinking of, Um, just that one that could guard down a little bit. Also, in the players that they had like Danny Green and and Kuz, very different players, but at least can definitely be on the floor can defend small forwards, if they get switched mm-hmm. onto a guard, they're fine, um, can can dig down and help on a big, you know, like all, all of that, like the type of stuff that's hard to find. And I think that, you know, the, so the trade starts to happen. And before the trade even did, you know, we all hear things in, in different positions, and I, in my position, might hear things that I can't always discuss, right, publicly, just as anybody that works for a team might. And when when some of the discussions about potential Utah players came up you know i i sort of felt like not enough attention was being paid um to the vanderbilt portion of it um and because the name on there again if if you if you're just even if you're kind of a a casual you got league pass you know there it's not like he's got some eye-popping stats like you actually have to really watch him and then even then me somebody that watches minnesota and watches him a lot i wasn't totally sure because he wasn't asked to do it a lot in minnesota or certainly this year in utah how he would how he would defend wings and and so that first game just happened to be so perfect that uh, well okay not the first game for him but the most recent game the game that Pete just watched a ton because in golden State um his matchups weren't quite as obvious there wasn't sort of that guy that he had to defend and shut down though didn't he have some time on Wiggins um mm-hmm. alas so Pete this is now to kick this back to you but this big wing this two-way wing and can you are you seeing where I'm going with that like how much can you view Vanderbilt in that vein um how much does that make you sort of think about the price tag that was associated with him or 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 not right uh, in the way that he was viewed and how much of an answer to that specific type um can can he be and did he look like to you
2: man i think it's a revelation for the team in the last pod i, I said i thought it was a game changer for us but specifically because it was a, a big hole that we had on the team that russ Russ was undersized doing it, but had done it fairly well. Just this sort of like physical guarding up, guarding forward size guys, and, you know, using at least if, if Russ couldn't contest high, he could at least win those ground battles. And he was very good at those. And so watching Jared Vanderbilt in, in this last rewatch in particular, watching him fight over screens with not just just zeal but pretty good technique and he's got such a good size that it doesn't he doesn't have to have perfect technique to fight through a screen you know and that type of player there he's not going to be somebody that i think can stick with everybody on the perimeter d but he is the only other guy aside from lebron who can who can Guard certain type of guys on this team, and we don't want LeBron to have to guard those types of guys the vast majority of a game. And so, I would love to see him against different styles of forwards. Like for example, when we play the Clippers, I'd love to see what he looks like against Kawhi. But super encouraged, man, by Vanderbilt and that ability to defend on the wing. If that's something that goes beyond just a, a favorable matchup with Bi, I think that has just huge implications for the team.
1: During the game against the Warriors, um, from my Van vantage point, there was a possession that he had, and I can't remember if it was in the first half or the second half, but Vanderbilt was just on DiVincenzo for uh, for a stretch of the game. If he can guard DiVincenzo, he should start because mm. that means he can guard any wing. Like, basically, if you're going to put him on this dude, then you can put him on all kinds of different guys that it's just like it it, it was a paradigm shift. Within the context of, oh, of all the dudes on the court right now, you can guard most of these guys, especially the bigger players. But you're on DiVincenzo right now for whatever reason. And I'm just like, OK, well, if you can guard this dude, go guard another guy who plays out on the perimeter almost all of the time.
2: And the guy we've been asking to do that for most of the year, Mike, has been Troy Brown, the guard, whoever the best forwardish perimeter guy yep. is out there. And I've I've always thought that Troy if there was a guy who was similar to him in a way, but better and Troy could be that guy's backup, that was the perfect slotting for Troy. And I think Vanderbilt like very, very well might be that guy.
3: And that's it, right? You used the word earlier. That's like the revelation. And it's, I, I didn't have this perfectly formed idea of how it would work specifically with this roster, but I just knew from watching Vanderbilt that I just wanted him on the floor um, Mm -hmm. to start. And part of the reason now you mentioned that Westbrook was the guy that came in and guarded some of these players. Well, the the guys that you need that player to guard start almost invariably mm-hmm. they start and they finish mm-hmm. like those guys don't sit on the bench. The guys that you need to unleash a, a Vanderbilt for, or can have LeBron switch over um, in the fourth quarter if, if he needs to, or have Anthony Davis do. And that, that's the other thing that I like about this front line and some of the stuff I, I think we mentioned when we did these these pods back there. But this this is now after a couple of days of thinking about it, right? It becomes even that much more clear what a point of emphasis is or what a point of emphasis it has to be. And and then the other reason that it works is to to now Pete to fill in the other part of what you were saying. Okay, well they also need a, a shoot a shooter and they need a skill guard. Well, there you go. You know, mm-hmm. Malik Beasley and D'Angelo Russell. And that also enables Vanderbilt to fit into the starting lineup better because you mm-hmm. have some of that skill. And you have some of that shooting there, which, you know, I don't think that would work as well with like a, if you had just traded a protected first for Vanderbilt and, you know, gotten rid of uh, what what whoever that the salary would have been, co- of course, much lower. But then you're starting mm-hmm. like Beverly and or something, then right. that doesn't look as good, although defensively it'd be interesting.
2: And that's one of the things, too, from doing the multiple rewatches is the flip of the very nature of the team D is like. Dennis is now our least skilled guard in terms of jump shooting, which I would argue is probably for the best on a, on a team, if if he's your worst jump shooter. But for a good portion of the season, he was somewhat relied upon. And if Dennis's jumper wasn't working that night... It had implications on the offense. And so now with D'Lo and Beasley, but also the other guys we traded for, Rui, Bamba, they didn't make any shots in that that game, but that is a central part of what they do on the offensive end. Now we've got highly skilled lineups on the floor, oftentimes at every position in a way that it's super disorienting from watching the team for the first two thirds of this season.
3: Darius, when those guys hit shots though too, like if Bamba... assuming that the starting lineup continues to click pretty well, at least when Bamba does hit those threes, that hurts like that hurts the other team. And if shooter does have a good game, it it ends up being a force multiplier instead of something that you have to have with consistency. Uh, Just like Malik Beasley can come out and miss a bunch of threes to start the game, but it's not necessarily going to impact that starting lineup as adversely as long as the defense is rotating. And then like it's, it's sort of getting used to rotating and, and the space is open in the middle. So that's the part where I think Darius to kick this to you, like where Pete mentioned about how this, the sensibility of the team um, that, you know, again, knock on wood that injuries don't uh, change that uh, the sensibility of it. It's uh, yeah. Okay. I, I can see how that's going to go. And how often do you hear, I was just watching All-Star Weekend, of course, and so a lot of the inside the NBA crew, and one of the basketball points they make that does, I think, that does hold true is what kind of a team are you? And they now kind of, they can answer that question, I think, with what their lineups and their rotations are, not just their mindset, which which, when AD went down, they did stay afloat in part by establishing a certain kind of mindset, and LeBron led that in a lot of ways, but so did Schroeder and Beverly. And and anyway, um, I, will now, I will now cede time. Uh, back to you having set too many things up as usual
1: no so the team makes sense from a how all the pieces fit together and that's going to serve them well when they're in games that are close late or when they just need to throw a random lineup they're not searching for a thing that's going to like work for them th- like they've got so many more natural ideas within the construct of their lineups that are just going to work because it plays it plays more in line with how skill sets should coalesce within a five man unit and that's super important
2: they had a ton of assists in that game deed like in, especially relative to their overall uh field goal attempts made and for a team that that's really the first time that that group had played together yeah. that's a great sign
1: No, totally. I will say this too. I am excited about how this team can fit and how they can play. The other thing that I will say, though, is that when you guys were talking about Vanderbilt, it's just like he and him being a revelation, 100% agree, particularly defensively. There's going to be some kinks that need to be worked out with yes. his with his like specific with the specifics of where his skill set lies offensively and what mm-hmm. he's good at on on offense that's not to say it can't work i think that it can work but i'm saying that when you talk about a two-way wing or the type of player that mike was highlighting a danny green for example or a kcp who was a smaller version of this like the prototype is a three and D. Vanderbilt is not a three right. and D wing. He is a like cut and D wing. He is a like, like grab and go and D wing. He is a, like he does all of this other stuff, but shooting and spacing the floor isn't necessarily what he does.
2: I think he's definitely a big on offense, right? If he has some yes. wing flexibility, it's on the defensive end.
1: That's a very important qualifier because
3: it he's, as I was describing this player, I should have meant like, defensively how he slots in because i think defensively you, you you most would have viewed him as that big also but now he can he can sort of defend in the perimeter that was the added bonus but yes the whole like what do you do with him to optimize on offense um is needs to be discussed and figured out um as does what do you do with russell and beasley on defense which is also different no. from shooter and beverly so if they're not neither one of them are are a full-on two-way player Uh, But but relative to what the Lakers had before in the way that it fits around LeBron and AD, it's great. And anyway, so so Darius, please finish the thought there on Vanderbilt.
1: No, no, Mike, actually, you pivoted exactly to where I was going to go in terms of Russell and Beasley and some of their defensive foibles. There is no building a perfect team and there's especially not building a perfect team at like the trade deadline <laughs> when you're just like okay well let me trade off 47 million dollars worth of contract and get 40 something million dollars back and we're just going to make to to make it work. But the thing about the Lakers lineup, the starting lineup especially is that the asks that are now put onto each of the players, they fit into their skill sets and where they're reaching to, to spaces beyond what their skill set is. It's mostly going to be based off of like effort and IQ and and basically just trying hard and being committed. And, and so Russell and Beasley aren't going to be lockdown defenders, but if they're out there trying mm-hmm. – And they're not out there basically, oh, well, we'll just get it back on the other side of the ball. That's exactly what you cannot have. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you're not building a perfect group here and they're not going to be great at everything. Like they're not the ideal template. Right. For for these guys, Beasley would be a guy who hits whatever percentage amounts of threes but he would defend closer to someone like kcp or alex caruso and you'd have vanderbilt who would have all of this defensive range and can scale up or scale down and he can chase and get over the top top of screens and you could deploy him on brandon ingram and he could hit a three-pointer right mm-hmm. like you would want all of this stuff if you could but you can never have it all and so I want to make sure that we're contextualizing things the right way, because what I'm excited about with this team is that they have a chance to play together where their skill sets actually do fit and that we are greater than like the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. The Lakers have not been that at all with Russell Westbrook on the team because Russ, Russ's skill set as was too duplicative of what LeBron and of what you were asking from LeBron and AD, and but he wasn't the same quality of player as them. And, and 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 so it was never going to add up to be as great as you needed it to be based off of all of the salary structure and everything else. But these guys do have that potential. And that's what is interesting to me and what I'm most intrigued about, I would say.
2: That's what I was so excited about in the rewatches was pretty much every play the player was being asked to do something that they do naturally, right? Like they're in a position where it's interesting. If you look at D'Lo's shot chart from that game, it's all on the left side of the floor and it kind of makes the shape of what a a drive would be from the left slot, right? It's basically this trail of evidence that shows we're playing D'Lo in the left slot, but also the left corner, which kicks up to the wing, but basically he's a left side of of the floor player for us so far. and. All of those things, that slot right there as a left-handed player, that's the biggest distance between defenders because your teammate is in the corner. So if you're on the sl- in the slot, that's where your natural double gap driving lane is. So we got him on the left slot. We've got LeBron on the right slot, Mike. And, and all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is what these guys like to do.
3: And to fill out a point that we had discussed after the second game, in which, of course, LeBron didn't play in Portland, and then D'Lo asked after the New Orleans game, Well, what was different about this one in the setup was about LeBron James. And it's like, yeah, LeBron does immediately fix a lot of these things about the team that were not uh, organized and that just kind of weren't working and weren't clicking and slots everybody in, in it, that it's right back to where we started this podcast. Like it's not just LeBron being on the floor, but it's LeBron being able to sense that there is enough there for him to work with. Uh, where it can be fully engaged. And I just don't think that that while, while LeBron was able to, I want to make sure I say this the right way. Cause I'm I'm not saying that he wasn't able to do that in the past a year and a half uh, and change, but I, I just, there, there was all, there was never a point in the last, before they made the trade that I thought that the team made a lot of sense and didn't need some kind of a move to, to, to sort it out. And mm-hmm. I'm obviously not speaking for LeBron, but I, I do think that that's, that's what the optimistic side of me would be for somebody whose life is better um, when the team plays well. That that is something that he can recognize and that he thinks can get there. doesn't mean that they will, especially with the hole that they've dug themselves in. But I do think that that mental approach is, uh, is sort of by understanding what the pieces on the team are. And you know, now we have to wait a couple more nights to see the next version. And I don't know how much time we have left. I, I, I kind of do want to, I wanted to get your quick take on the Pelicans. And if you thought they just, I wasn't as impressed with how they played. And so I, mm-hmm. that's that's the part of me that sort of, in my first watch, I, I have not watched the game back. So I'm kind of like, well, how much of that, how much are we reading into the way that that game went and how great the starters were? And will that be the same when they play a different team? But um, we, we don't have to hit all that tonight.
2: I mean I thought they competed for the most part I thought BI was a mess on defense and we really targeted him um and uh but I you know they it's the last game before the All-Star break for everyone, which is not always the highest intensity game. But I thought that they competed. And when we did not play well, they appropri- appropriately punished us. B.I. went on a run in the third quarter where he was hitting some tough shots over good Vanderbilt contests. And it Hernan was something Gomez that... Went on a run. Right. Hernan Gomez went on the run. Our bench was rough in the first half, but then pulled away a bit. And that's the thing is like, we have all this optimism right now, D. And uh, like this looking for... It's funny, we we set up the pod like, oh, we're going to do a reflection back on how we got here. Yeah. And how we, well, we're chomping at the bit, man, to go forward on with what this team is, but there's a lot of work ahead and not a lot of time to do it. Well,
1: that's where the past can inform the future, though. It's just like exactly. the Lakers are where they are because of their past. They're five games under they, they need to go on a push in order to get to 500. And it's like, Mike, I'm sure you've had your boys clean up a mess that wasn't their responsibility. And that's how it works in a household. And now you're looking at D'Angelo Russell and Jared Vanderbilt, and they're going to Most, most
3: messes are their responsibility. Um, but yes, every once in a while, it'll be Riggs.
2: Uh, <laughs> but yes. <Yeah.
1: laughs> well, you know, it's, it's so it's like, we're looking at D'Lo and Jared Vanderbilt and Beasley and being like, Hey, you know, like y'all gonna have to help clean up some of this mess. I know y'all weren't here. That identity that both you and Mike discussed and how some of that was formed by players who were no longer here. But what I'm hoping is that that same fight and drive and competitive yeah. nature that the team showed in earlier stretches of the season when the stars weren't available to well, to play, I do hope that that is in the DNA of this current group and that that stayed. Because in terms of reflecting about the things that were positive from the first 50 some odd games, which did not produce a positive record, that would be one of them. One of LeBron's lasting quotes from from the season is like, we could have rolled over and quit, but we're Mm -hmm. not a rollover and quit sort of team. And so we just kept fighting and fighting and fighting. And I think that was in relation to the Portland win where they came back from 20 something points down, but that's the spirit that is sort of been the wind at the sails of this specific Lakers team. And now that team is gone and it's been somewhat replaced by four new rotation players and, and five players overall, but that's sort of the, the mix that needs to come together, and, and we need all of that skill yep. and and infusion, right? But we need all of that sort of heart and determination that was there before to to come together with this new group too.
2: Yeah, this has been a resilient group that's been through the fire. One of the things I like about having Dilo uh, as part of this is Dilo's been through a couple of fires. He's a, I think a tough guy as a as a result of that mentally, and you need to have that. And so, um, a lot of work to do, but very excited about where we where we go from here. All right, we'll be back tomorrow. Maybe talk a little bit of D Also, want to talk about uh, Darvin Ham this week as well. But until then, you've been listening to the Laker Film Room podcast. We'll catch you guys next time.
1: Dane just got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it.
2: Magic fires. It's And yeah, The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the
1: game. Good on the game. Up. That next to win winner it.
3: It's on the right no! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds, with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA finals record. A lot of Laker
0: fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance
3: right, in, in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding
2: me? Kobe.
3: Hard to believe, Are you kidding me? Unreal! Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane, back for Gasol. Pretty pass, and it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant, picked up by Bell. There's the Go move.
0: Two, going. one, miss it! Unbelievable. 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 It's over. And shot out of five. Bryant. Yeah! with a little tap to alvin gentry that insults the injury kobe i mean what a shot i mean you
3: can't defend that are you kidding me 2.1 seconds remaining denver a foul to give Jokic trying to disrupt rondo he puts it in here's davis four three in the win.
0: oh it's good anthony davis has won it for the lakers james again oh he hits another one lebron james